Uh, my name is Dan Bidwell, Minister here at church. It is great to have you with us. Rod, I'm going to give you that one because we didn't need that one just now. Um, Australia Day long weekend. Uh, it is good to see you at church in sunny Robbo uh, for the last of our summer series. That's a joke. If you're watching online, it's beautiful here. You just can't see it inside. Um, I don't know about you. Are you the kind of person who holds on to things? You're the kind of person who holds on to things. Uh, if you ask my wife, she would say, I'm the kind of person who holds on to things. Uh, we found this out. Well, did we find it out? It was revealed in very clear uh, terms when we moved uh, five or six years ago from Australia to the United States. And uh, we had to decide which of our possessions to bring with us. Um, and so we had to decide what would we keep, what would we hold on to, and what would we get rid of. Some of you are thinking about your stuff going like, that's a terrifying thought. It was a little bit terrifying for me. And, uh, and then when we moved back from the US back to Australia, we had to do the same thing. What do we keep and what do we let go of? And, uh, you know, some things were easy to, get, uh, to let go of. Um, there was furniture that was just too large to bring with us. And there were other household items that had no sentimental value. Uh, and then there were other things that were really difficult to let go of because they were items that brought back memories of the the kids when they were little or, you know, things that we took camping with us or a, a collection of books or um, a thousand little knickknacks that are souvenirs of our journey through this life. Uh, what do you hold on to? What do you hold on to? Well, as we open our Bible passage this morning, uh, the writer wants us to hold on to the most important possession that we have, and that is the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, and that's what we're going to think about this morning. So why don't we pray now that God would lead us into a firm hope and to holding on to Jesus so we never let him go. Let's pray. Our Father, as we open your word today, will you speak to us and draw us near? Will you remind us of what's most important in this life? And will you help us to hold unswervingly to Jesus? in every circumstance of life. Uh, be with us now as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a reminder, we are in our uh, January Kickstarter series. I know January is coming to an end, but um, we'll be continuing on for just another couple of weeks. Uh, but the idea with this Kickstarter series is to, to kickstart our year in following Jesus, to, to start the year with our focus fixed in the right place, to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, just like in Stacey's fantastic kids talk. Wasn't that great? Um, Stacey, that was the first time she's ever done a kids talk. So that was, I'm, I'm looking around, she, I think she might be in there. Um, super job. Um, how do you keep your eyes fixed on the crown of Jesus? Because there's so many distractions. And so this series is all about us um, keeping our eyes fixed and drawing near to Jesus. And uh, we're sticking around in that key text from Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. And that's what we're going to look at right now because we're going to hear the writer's second exhortation to us. Um, so this is uh, the same passage we read last week. We've just read it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, since we have a, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. That was our injunction last week, wasn't it? Draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus wants us to come and know that we can come with complete confidence that our sins are washed away. And then here's the second idea. It is down there in the, in the bottom. It's exactly the same verse, just looks different. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So last week, draw near to the cross because of what Jesus has done. Uh, and now, hold unswervingly. 
hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Hold on to it without wavering. Hold on to it without changing direction. Face only towards Jesus. Um, By the way, this is not the first time that the writer has talked about holding on to Jesus without swerving. Um, He's warned the audience of the need to hold on to Jesus several times. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess in chapter 10. But back in chapter 3, he says, We're Christ's house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So hold firmly to it. Then uh, a little bit later in chapter 3, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly, hold on to our convictions to the very end. And then again in chapter 6, God did this so that we would take hold of the hope set before us. He wants us to take hold and hold firmly to the hope of Jesus Christ. Again and again, he warns us and encourages us. So what is it that could cause us to waver in our faith? What could cause us to steer in a different direction? Uh, What could cause us to veer off course? Uh, I grew up um, around boats. I grew up around boats. Um, At different times, we had uh, dinghies and then motorboats and sailing boats and windsurfers and paddling things. And um, I literally grew up, we had a lake house and I spent all summer there every summer as a kid. And uh, they all revolved around water. Uh, my parents have always had yachts. And so we've always just been on boats. Uh, and I remember when my parents bought their first kind of overnight yacht, uh, the kind you could go and stay on. I was probably 10 um, or 11 at the time. I've got there are four kids in our family. I'm number two, a, a brother, myself, and two sisters. And uh, all six of us were staying on this sailing boat for the first time, the first overnight we've done as a family. And uh, we pull up in this little bay in the river and uh, dad throws out the anchor. We have dinner. We all go to bed. And sometime in the middle of the night, dad's up and I can't remember what words he used, but um, he's up on the deck making a whole lot of noise, shouting in the darkness. Apparently, he has dropped the anchor onto the sandy bottom. And as the tide changed, it pulled the anchor and has pulled us off the sand and we're now drifting down the river towards the rocky entrance and out into the open sea. And uh, fortunately, Dad woke up in time, put the engine on, pulled up, put us on a, a better mooring so we could go back to sleep. But you know what? As we go through life, all kinds of tides will pull us in one direction or another, won't they? All kinds of forces will push against us at times, all kinds of influences, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of societal changes, they'll gather momentum, and the danger is that we get dragged along with them. Now, sometimes those ideas crash against what we know is right and wrong, and it's easier to recognize the danger, but other times they catch us sleeping, and we don't know the danger until we're close to the rocks, and sometimes not until it's too late. Um, when, we, uh, when the writer of the, to the Hebrews says, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess, he's actually telling us that there will be forces that want to make us swerve or waver in our faith. There will be waves that threaten to push us off course. There will be winds that buffet. Um, Satan wants nothing more than for us to swerve from our course of following Jesus. Wasn't that great? The ice cream shop or the party or the balloons. As grown-ups, there are plenty of other things that make us come off course. Um, And do you know what? Satan wants us to do that so that our faith will be shipwrecked. Uh, In the... um, Oh, that's how the Apostle Paul described 
two Christian leaders who got caught up in false teaching. It was Hymenaeus and Alexander. They devoted themselves to myths and genealogies and endless speculations and teachings that led to meaningless talk. And in the end, Paul says they've shipwrecked their faith. They actually left Jesus behind because they were interested in so many other things that distracted them from what was important. That's 1 Timothy 1, if you want to read it. So there's a distinct danger as Christians uh, that we let go of the hope that we have in Jesus and we make our faith about something else like Hymenaeus and Alexander did. That Maybe that we make the gospel about something other than faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that is the path to shipwreck. Uh, Paul warns the Ephesian church about the same thing. Um, he warns them of the danger of being tossed back and forth by the waves, he says, blown here and there by every wind of uh, teaching and, and false teaching, cunningness and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's Ephesians chapter 4. So the church has always been in danger from false teaching, uh, from those who would use half-truths and biblical ideas and take them out of context and, and lead godly brothers and sisters away from the truth. Jesus calls them wolves in sheep's clothing, doesn't he, in Matthew um, chapter 7. Well, the antidote, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, is for the church to become mature, uh, for the church to become mature. That's why he says Christ himself gave to the church apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers to equip his people and to build them up in faith until they reach maturity, faith and knowledge. That's my job, isn't it? To build you up and to equip you, not just to be the only input into your life, but actually to help you grow into maturity. So read it again. To equip his people to build them up in faith and in knowledge until they reach maturity so that they won't end up like infants tossed around by every wind of false teaching. The winds are always blowing, my friends. That's Ephesians chapter 4. And that's the reason why, at the beginning of the year, I'm encouraging us as, a ch us as a church to draw near to God through his word in 2024. So that as we read God's word, as we soak in it, as we meditate on it, God would actually grow us in knowledge and maturity. He'd protect us from false teaching. Uh, and by the way, that's why we spend most of our year working through sections of the Bible, um, to prevent me from just picking my favorite verse every week and telling you my favorite story. Um, we work through week by week so that we hear God speak to us on the terms, uh, on His terms, so that we follow His agenda and so that we learn from Him together. Because when we grow together, we actually strengthen one another, even as we strengthen our own faith. Um, there's no I in church, um, and we need one another. But um, that's next week's sermon when we talk about encouraging one another. Uh, and so Hebrews 10.23 here reminds us to hold tight to the one thing that is absolutely central to Christianity, uh, and that's the hope that we have in Jesus. Back in Hebrews 6, the writer describes our hope like this. He describes our hope in Jesus as an anchor for the soul. He says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, it's firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Remember last week, we ripped the curtain open. Jesus made us uh, available for us to go right into to see, to see God. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Uh, when you throw your anchor over the side of the boat, the anchor holds your boat steady, unless you do what we did and put it in the wrong spot. But if you put your anchor in the right spot, the anchor will hold you firm against every storm. It holds you steady in the changing tides. It resists the pulls and pushes that are part of life. The anchor keeps you where you're meant to be. 
Do you notice where our anchor is, according to the writer to the Hebrews? Well, our anchor is inside the inner sanctuary. It's inside the most holy place of the temple. It's, it's behind the curtain, which was torn open when Jesus died. And it keeps us bound and anchored and tethered to the presence of God. It keeps us lashed onto Him. It keeps us held firmly to the kingdom and the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. That is the hope that we profess, the the hope of entering into God's presence through Jesus Christ. Um, That is our only grounds for hope in this life and the next. And so the encouragement of this passage is to make sure that your anchor is set firmly in the right place, anchored in Jesus. Because here's the thing, friends, if you throw your anchor, throw the anchor of your hope onto wealth, if you throw the anchor of your hope onto success, or if you throw the anchor of your hope onto beauty, if you throw the anchor of your hope onto being a good person or a moral person or a spiritual person, if you throw the anchor of your hope anywhere other than Jesus, your anchor will not hold on the last day. It will be pulled up when Jesus comes. So where is the anchor of your soul? Where is it resting? What are you tied to? What holds you in the storms of life? new idea, unchanging. Um, one of the uh, challenges of sailing is the unpredictability of the weather. Uh, as much as possible, whenever we would sail out into the ocean, we would check the weather. Uh, in fact, even if you're going to sail in the bay, you want to make sure that it's not going to be a crazy day. Um, but a lot of the times, the changing weather is part of the fun. You know, when the wind blows harder, you can sail faster. It pushes your boat a little bit over and makes it a bit more exciting until it blows so hard that you're in danger. I was on the harbour one day uh, in, uh, with a friend of mine. We were in a little a, a boat race, um, in tiny, tiny little boats, two people boats. And uh, this squall came across. You could see it coming, and it just flattened every boat in the race, all the way over into the water. And normally you can just lean over and pull your boat back up and keep sailing. Well, this squall was so strong that we pulled it up, and it just went straight down again. And then the wind started blowing us across the harbour, towards the rocks and in the end I had to be in the water holding the boat with my feet on the rocks to stop us getting squashed on the rocks it was pretty exciting (laughs) until the squall died down and we could continue in the race imagine God was as unchangeable sorry he was as changeable as the wind imagine that smooth sailing one minute with God and then he's pushing us towards the rocks the next is that what God is like Is that how we explain our experience of the world? Are we just waiting for the next storm of God's anger to hit us and smash us onto the rocks and see if we can hold on long enough to survive? Is that what God is like? Is He fickle? Is He unpredictable? Is He vindictive? Well, some people have that impression of God, especially when things don't go their way, when life is not smooth sailing. But that isn't the God that we meet in the pages of the Bible. Instead, We meet a God who holds unswervingly or unwaveringly to his plan to save the people that he lovingly created. Our God is unwavering in that purpose. And the whole Bible story is about God's faithfulness to his plan to bring a people to himself and to save them. Back in Hebrews 6, um, and I know that Hebrews 6 was a bit of a tricky one. Um, Right before the anchor part, the writer reminds us about the story of Abraham right from the beginning of the Bible. Um, In Genesis, uh, we're actually going to be reading the Abraham story in term two this year. Um, But here in Hebrews 6, the the writer reminds us of the story of Abraham. You see, 
God promised Abraham that he would become the father of a great nation. Um, but Abraham and his, his wife were unable to have children. And in fact, when God made the promise to Abraham, he was 75 years old. His wife was 65. And uh, God made this promise, you'd become a great nation. You'd have so many children. They'd be like the sand on the seashore, uncountable. Well, he's a 75-year-old. His wife is 65. And she doesn't get pregnant right away. Not the next year either. And in fact, they wait 25 years until finally they have the child of their own. See, God takes what is impossible and he makes it possible. He takes what is impossible and he makes it possible. God keeps this promise even when it didn't make any sense to Sarah and Abraham. God kept his promise even though it didn't fit with their timing, even though they had to wait years and years. God kept his promise. And the story of Abraham and Sarah, it's just one of many stories like that in the Bible, stories of God's faithfulness to keep his promises. In Hebrews 16, uh, sorry, Hebrews 6, 17, the writer tells us that God made his promise with, Ab- uh, with Abraham with an oath. He made it with an oath because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what happened. Um, God wants to make the unchanging nature of his purpose, very clear to us who are heirs of what he's promised. See, God had a plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, and that plan is unchanging. It's not changed, has never changed, it will never change. God won't change the rules of what we need to do to be saved. He won't put extra conditions on some people, or he won't bend the rules for others. God's purpose is unchanging. His plan is unchanging. His nature is unchanging. When we have confidence in Jesus Christ, we can have confidence that he will do what he says he was going to do. We can have confidence in the hope that he set before us. We can have confidence that that anchor of our hope in Jesus Christ will keep us until the day that he returns or calls us home. It will keep us in Christ and in God's presence. As Paul put it in Romans 8, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ because God is faithful to his promises. He will do what he said he will do. And we see that proof at the cross. See, Jesus faced the greatest storm that was imaginable as he prepared to bear the wrath of God that would take his life. It was a punishment that you and I deserved, but that Jesus took in our place. You know, even as Jesus faced that storm of God's wrath, he held fast to God's promises. The promises that are found in the scriptures from the beginning to the end. Jesus knew them. He trusted those promises. He trusted that the storm would not end with his death, but instead with a way open to eternal life for all those who put their trust in him. Because he who promised is faithful. And that faithfulness of God was proven three days later when Jesus rose to new life in the empty tomb. See, one day you and I will also see the proof of God's faithfulness when we too rise to new life on the, new, uh, on the last day, if we have our lives anchored to Christ. And God wants to make clear to us the unchanging nature of his purpose. He wants to make sure you know that he's unchanging. He won't change the rules. He wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to come home. He, he wants us to know that that will never change, no matter what you've done. We're always welcome back to him because of what Jesus did on the cross. So this year, will you cast your anchor onto Jesus? Will you put your firm hope in him alone? Will you hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess? 
It's not dependent on your faithfulness, but it's dependent on his faithfulness. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unchanging nature and your unchanging purpose. Thank you that you promised to bring to eternal life all who have their faith in Jesus Christ. May we trust him today. May he be our hope in life and death. Uh, Father, we praise you and we bless you. We thank you that even the things that we've done to sin against you and others can be forgiven through the love of Jesus. Help us to hold firmly to him. Help us to live lives that honor him. And Lord God, keep us until we meet you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.